My name is Swami, Swami Sivasubramanian. Uh, I manage machine learning for AWS. Uh, I've been at AWS actually for 10 or 12 years. Uh, super excited to be talking to you about machine learning today. So, so you heard from Andy today, we had a bunch of announcements, including many of you would be wondering, when am I getting my deep lens? Don't worry, since you came to machine learning track, we know you're interested in machine learning, so it'll be on its way. So. Uh, that's it. Uh, so let me actually start a bit about the uh, history of machine learning in Amazon. So as Andy mentioned in the morning, we have been doing machine learning in Amazon for more than 20 years. Right from the early days where when uh, Amazon.com actually started over when we were building websites, we used machine learning-driven recommendations. Uh, and then we actually used... Um, machine learning, deep learning, computer vision techniques for fulfillment and logistics, right from like when you try to order something on Black Friday or Cyber Monday, you actually predict whether your order uh, is actually in stock or when it will deliver and so forth. All these are actually prediction models done using machine learning. In addition to that, when you click to order, let's say, an Echo Dot, which turns out to be one of the most popular thing that we sold on uh, Black Friday, what happens is we actually send a notification to our FC fulfillment uh, centers. And uh, from there, we enqueue a message which gets picked up by one of these robots where during the early days when we Amazon started, our fulfillment centers are these giant warehouses where the, uh, we had these long racks filled with products and people used to actually walk over our associates and pick up and bring it back to the packing table and then pack it and send it over. And if you can imagine the rate at which Amazon was growing, I mean, our FC associates started getting tired and tired. Then we said, hey, how can we actually make it better? So for that, we actually used computer vision and deep learning to automate the process of actually moving the packages, where instead of our associates walking over to where the packages are, when you order something, we automatically enqueue a message which gets sent to one of these Kiva robots, which goes and picks up the entire aisle and moves it to where the associates are. Again, it is done using computer vision and deep learning. So if you kind of go to one of these uh, fulfillment centers, it looks like literally a swarm of robots just randomly going each other. But it's kind of a beautiful thing to watch. So we also use machine learning in other places like search and discovery. If you go to Amazon.com and start shopping for anything, you see these scroll bars like, hey, uh, people who are interested in this, they might be interested in this and so forth. So these are, even since the early days and as recent as uh, until this year, we have been continuing to improve using machine learning. And uh, recently we published uh, 20 years of using machine learning for recommendations. So it's a great uh, white paper I recommend reading. But these are examples of how we have been leveraging ML for search and discovery and personalization. Then we use it to improve existing products. When you think about existing products, like it can be like Kindle, where you're reading a book in your Kindle, and then you're looking to see, hey, who are the popular characters in a given book, and what are they doing? So we use natural language processing techniques so that you can actually extract what are the key uh, entities and uh, characters and what they are doing and so forth. And we also use it for uh, our Amazon Instant Video. If you ever watched a movie in Amazon Instant Video, one of the cool features is called Amazon X-Ray. So uh, X-Ray is really neat where at any given frame, you can freeze the video and it tells you who are all the actors in a given video. So if my wife and I ever have an argument about, is this the same person that came in Grey's Anatomy, we don't need to actually argue anymore. We can actually pause it. And then really, we have IMDb links there. It's really neat. It turns out though 99% she is right. So, but that aside, truth is what matters. So we also use machine learning to build new products. And new products are the kind of products that are not possible without use of machine learning. So my favorite one is Alexa. So I have an uh, Alexa at home. 
for the past uh, four or five years, since the early days of the first version of Alexa. And uh, my two-year-old at home, she grew up in a world where when she was born, we had Alexa. So she, other than mom and dad, she talks to Alexa in our house. So, and if you unpack what happens in Alexa, it is literally an automatic speech recognition where when my daughter says, Alexa, play wheels on the bus, it trans transcribes the speech command into text and then runs a natural language understanding so that when they say play wheels on the bus, we run an NLU engine called, uh, I mean, it's called natural language understanding to say the intent is to play music and then call the appropriate API backend. It can be Amazon Music or Spotify or others with the parameter or like wheels on the bus. It's really that straightforward. I am trivializing. We had thousands of engineers building these models, but you kind of understand that what it takes to build this. And Alexa can now also see. We can actually give fashion advice and so forth. Now, the other interesting proof of concept is Amazon Go. So Amazon Go is a very interesting retail store experience uh, where they run on AWS, and we have been working with them on some of the computer vision models. And uh, if you look at Amazon.co, uh, Amazon Go, it's a store like this. You can walk in, scan your mobile phone, and then you can walk in, pick up anything you want, and walk out. First time you use it, even though I was building it, uh, it actually felt like I was shoplifting. So, except believe me, we actually charge you. So I've tried to do all kinds of things, uh, but it doesn't work. So. After building many of these things, when you've been working with our customers, uh, one of the feedback we heard is like, these technologies are awesome, but how can we leverage similar kind of technologies on top of our own data sets, or similar magical technologies for our enterprise? So that's our goal with uh, machine learning at AWS, which is to put machine learning capabilities in the hands of every developer and data scientist. So, when I say this, then you might be wondering, so what are some of the machine learning capabilities customers are asking for? So last year at reInvent, we launched a few major capabilities. And uh, this is how we see the world to be. The bottommost layer is what I call catered towards expert practitioners. These are folks who have huge interest in saying, like, I really want gradient-boosting trees, or I would like PyTorch, or MXNet, or TensorFlow, or so forth. So they understand when to pick what, and then they actually know whether to run on GPU or CPU, and so forth. So, and for them, the breadth of actually the compute offerings and also the support for multiple frameworks and algorithms, these things matter, whereas the next layer is catered towards who I, we call as data scientists, who are actually trying to build machine learning models for on top of that data lake in AWS. For them, we have Amazon Machine Learning, and then Spark and EMR, and also Mechanical Turk. And then the third layer is catered towards app developers, who are not uh, familiar with ML, but they want to actually pass an image and find out what's in an image. They want to build a chatbot, and so forth. So, so since we launched last year, uh, we have had several customers running machine learning on AWS today, as Andy mentioned. So right from like Netflix and uh, Intuit and Expedia and so forth. But uh, let's actually double click and see what each of these customers are doing in each of these layers. Now the bottommost layer, the first thing that uh, if you're building deep learning models, customers care about is Machine learning hardware really requires specialized compute instance to accelerate the mathematical functions. I mean, if you think about it, uh, many of the deep learning frameworks, at the end of the day, do like a matrix multiplication. So for them, they really are interested in uh, having acceleration functions. Uh, so last month, we launched P3 instances, which is the fastest and most powerful GPU instances in the cloud which has up to one petaflop of computational performance. And um, 
we have had several customers like Airbnb, Toyota Research Institute using it, and we've been getting great feedback. What used to take, let's say if you're running on TensorFlow, and it took you weeks for training, now you can cut it down to days. Or if you are running LSTMs that took you like multiple days, customers saw drastic reduction in training time to hours. So we yeah, optimized it for MXNet, TensorFlow, and so working with other frameworks as well. So, and to make this process simple, until today, we actually provided a very uh, easy to get started deep learning army that uh, customers could set up and configure. They don't have to deal with configuration or set up and keep going. So we had customers like Zendesk and Matrix Analytics uh, building it. Now, while we have been interacting with customers, one of the constant feedback we heard internally and externally is deep learning is very challenging. So if you think about it, there are so many frameworks. Uh, probably five or six are the most popular frameworks, and uh, they essentially fall into two camps. One is catered towards scalability, and another one is catered towards flexibility. What do I mean by that? So if you pick TensorFlow or MXNet or whatnot, they really require you, or used to require, right, on the case of MXNet, but they required you to define a neural net where, let's say, 10 layers or 20 layers of network and then train your data set. This is like, if you're thinking about it, if any of you have built database applications, that's the equivalent of saying, I'm going to fix schema for hundreds of tables in a given application, and then completely rewrite my app for a new set of functions. That's really what happened. Why did they do that? That doesn't sound very logical. There was a clear reason. It's primarily because to maximize the training scalability, you need to have fixed set of functions to optimize. That's why these uh, frameworks were optimized for scalability. But on the other hand, PyTorch, which is an extremely popular deep learning framework too, they said, hey, uh, data scientists really care about flexibility. For them, what matters is like, I want to be able to trade on ideas faster. And uh, so they, indexed on flexibility and scalability of it was not the most important one. So, and uh, we actually challenged an, our team to say, how can we actually, why do we have to make this choice? I mean, there shouldn't be a choice between flexibility and scalability. That's why last month we launched Gluon, which is a new interface for building deep learning applications, where you can actually simply um, define the model using Gluon. It has an imperative interface with dynamic graphs and so forth. Essentially, think of it as like a schema-less uh, database application, but uh, for neural nets. Um, and uh, it, doesn't, it provides great flexibility without compromising the scalability. And uh, Microsoft uh, is also a contributor to Apache MXNet. So we actually told them, like, hey, we have been thinking about this interface. How about uh, you, we collaborate with you on this interface, not just for MXNet, but let's also do that for Gluon, uh, for CNTK2. So they were excited about it. We actually co-authored the interface and made it open source. And uh, the CNTK implementation is coming pretty soon, too. So while we worked on a bunch of these uh, core framework innovations, one of the things we actually, and is still the process of building machine learning is hard. So when you think about uh, machine learning, to make the algorithms learn, you need to have something called as ground truth data. You think about it, it so happens uh, Amazon and AWS had this service called Am Mechanical Turk. And uh, I remember talking to the head of computer vision for Caltech. Uh, he was jokingly saying, Amaz uh, the mechanical Turk is the unsung hero for artificial intelligence because uh, pretty much every researcher uses mechanical Turk to build a ground truth data set. What do I mean by that? So to build a uh, computer vision model where you give an image and it tells you whether there is a hot dog or not hot dog, you need humans to first tell you what hot dog is and what is not a hot dog. So you need a bunch of human annotators, but you can't just randomly walk around and ask your mom and dad or your uh, spouses or your friends. So Mechanical Turk provides you a simple API where you can crowdsource the ground truth. And uh, 
this has been the default way for many researchers to get started. And that's how like likes of Facebook research, Pinterest, and so forth. So well, Mechanical Turk actually has been a uh, very, very incredible asset to get started. What we continue to hear from customers or heard from customers is the process of building machine learning models is very hard. Why is it so? So to begin with, you have to actually deal with what is called as data wrangling, where you fetch data, and then you have to run ETL jobs, and then you have to clean and process the data, and then prepare it. We have these incredibly smart machine learning scientists, and they spend more than 70% of the time dealing with data preparation, where they spend less time on actually the uh, ML algorithm part, more time on actually the data cleanup and ETL. So now then, even once the data is ready, now then we actually ask them to go and actually build training clusters and keep these clusters alive. Or they actually spin off an engineering team to help them dealing with setup of uh, training cluster for TensorFlow or MXNet or gradient boosting. And then you train the model, and then you have to tune the model. And once you have done all this, then you have to deploy it and uh, scale it and so forth. And uh, this is incredibly time consuming. And um, we continue to uh, hear that uh, this traditionally takes from idea to production six to 18 months. And that's why we actually built today and launched SageMaker. So what is SageMaker? As Andy talked about, it's a machine learning service that is a fully managed service that provides the quickest and easiest way for your data scientists and developers to get ML models from idea to production. So you can build, train, and deploy machine learning models at scale. And it actually provides a zero setup where with a single click, you can spin off a Jupyter notebook, and you can author machine learning models. And literally with a single line of Python code and uh, model definition, you can submit and it will run a TensorFlow model and train it, and it will output a trained model that you could host it on the cloud. So it's actually uh, very, very powerful. But I talked about why machine learning is hard. Let's see why it is making it easy with SageMaker. So, so you mentioned we first provide pre-built notebook uh, instances. That means that if you have developers who are interested in machine learning, but they actually don't know what it means to build a recommender system. Think of it as like a uh, cookbook or pre-cooked recipes that you can put in microwave and get started uh, for your dinner. So the way to think about it is these are walkthrough notebooks where we have pointers to data lakes. And you can actually point to your S3 bucket, let's say, to build a sample recommender app. Or, or you can for, to do the same for like image classification and so forth. In addition to that, what we have found in our experience dealing with Amazon data sets is like many of the classic machine learning algorithms like PCA or LDA or uh, linear classification or uh, factorization, all those, they are extremely popular, probably more so than deep learning but they don't scale beyond a certain data sets, or they take too long to run, make the, making them super expensive. So we uh, invested significant amount of time in rewriting these algorithms so that they can actually run uh, much faster. And then to make the training process easy, we provided a one-click training API for running machine learning, deep learning, but also custom ML algorithms. Many of the expert practitioners that I talked about, they actually write their own machine learning algorithms that they want to train using SageMaker. And finally, one of the things um, when you build a deep learning model, you realize is that it is incredibly hard to tune them. Like you have to know when to actually tune, for example, let's say the backpropagation uh, metric, or when do you actually think about learning rate and how do you know what is the right parameter and so forth. It turns out it's a very, very incredible craft. And very few people know what uh, these things do when you start changing them. So what do most of the developers and scientists do, they just leave it to the defaults and see, okay, that's good enough. So 
Instead, you can actually do better, where you use machine learning to actually tune these ML models. And that's what actually SageMaker does, where we tune with uh, and provide default hyperparameter optimization for our training. Eventually, we also, once you train the model, you can actually, you need to deploy it. But then, unlike a traditional code where you have built a system and then you deploy it, here, it's not actually that straightforward because you want to make sure, first, uh, it doesn't cause regression in the sense that you actually doesn't, you do not make, for example, like if Alexa today pushed a new model where it stopped understanding how to play music, probably almost all users will be very unhappy. So you really want to be sure that uh, when you push a new model, you actually run some form of A-B testing to make sure that you actually have a group, test it out to see how it performs, and later you actually monitor it and then start pushing to everything. So, and once you have run these things, so to help with this experience, SageMaker provides you a built-in support for A-B testing. And then once the model is ready to be deployed more, we actually provide a push-button way to deploy a multi-AC auto-scaled uh, hosting environment. So that's actually SageMaker in a nutshell. And as I mentioned earlier, we also provide a 10x better algorithms that are built in in SageMaker. This is, if you see many of the classic implementations of uh, algorithms that we talked about, they're all what uh, scientists call as multi-pass algorithms. The reason they don't scale well or they run not as fast as because they actually take multiple passes on the same data set to optimize. Instead, we rewrote it to make sure they can actually train faster in a single pass. And um, we gave SageMaker to many customers uh, as part of our beta. We have listed some of them here, like uh, Intuit, uh, whose chief data officer is going to come and talk about it uh, later, their experience with it. And also Digital Globe, who's an uh, incredibly I mean, uh, interesting company where they actually collect high resolution satellite imagery. So these are very, very I mean, uh, big image files that they store in S3 on Glacier. And when their customers start pulling these images to do different kinds of applications, they need to know like, when to start pulling these images out of Glacier to S3 and when to optimize for cost versus performance. So they have been using SageMaker to build the machine learning models so that they can actually do that. So the other example of customer who I've been doing is ZipRecruiter. So using SageMaker, I mean, ZipRecruiter is a very popular online uh, employment marketplace. And they have million, uh, more than a million employers and 100 million uh, prospective employees. And using SageMaker, they are actually working on building uh, a recommendation engine that matches uh, the employers and potential employees. So that's kind of SageMaker in a nutshell. And uh, later in the talk, we will have uh, Ashok from Intu talk about uh, their hands-on experience with uh, SageMaker and how they went about it. So. Now that we talked about like, what it means to build machine learning using SageMaker, as Andy mentioned, we actually asked ourselves, like, still, the process of getting developers who are not exposed to machine learning is still sometimes probably overwhelming as scary. So one of the challenges we actually posed to, I posed to my team and asked ourselves, is like, how can we make machine learning more fun? Learning ML should be fun. It should not be like, uh, I need to actually go learn about all these mathematical functions and so forth. If you get people excited about ML, they will actually start learning with it and say, hey, this is actually not as hard as actually it thinks. It's just a bunch of mathematical functions and uh, the programming environment becomes so easy that uh, people will enjoy. So that's why we built DeepLens. So DeepLens is a fully programmable video camera. So. Think of it as uh, you can actually, and it's optimized for Apache MXNet and also CAFE and TensorFlow models can be run on it. And um, how does DeepLens work? Essentially, you can deploy pre-trained education models on top of DeepLens. 
such as hot dog or not hot dog. I'll, uh, or actually, you can deploy custom models. For example, the custom model I'm really excited to build is uh, like I live in a suburb in Seattle where there are still like forests around. So we have black bears coming and visiting our trash cans all the time. So my, my wife is fascinated with uh, seeing the bears from inside the house. But then we have a dog, so we can't just say anytime there is a motion in the backyard, text us so that we will go see, because that means whenever my dog goes, I will keep getting pages. So I want to build a camera that recognizes bears, and then it will page me using SNS and send me a text message so that we can go out. Instead of literally my wife's idea is to have a stakeout where we literally have a popcorn and wait for bears to arrive between 12 to 4. So, and instead, I want to make this process really easy. So, and we can do that with deep lens. I've heard already customers saying like, hey, I want to actually build a garage, dar, uh, gar garage opener where it recognizes the license plate so that it will only let one car uh, that is authorized to enter using deep lens. And we have had uh, different people interested in doing different things. And the way it works is you can deploy these custom models, and it runs the inference at the edge. The computer vision model that you built using SageMaker or the pre-trained model, it passes through the single pass, the frame, and then later you can choose to send back the rest of the video back to AWS if you want to do further analytics. You can actually do it again in the cloud using your own video pipeline, or you can actually use recognition video as well. And it integrates with Lambda, SNS, and SES, and so forth, too. And one of our original mission with DeepLens is from the time it takes for you to unbox DeepLens to actually installing the first project, you should be able to do that within 10 minutes. Uh, and uh, to make that really easy and get that going, we actually gave a bunch of sample apps like artistic style transfer so that you can point your deep lens to, let's say, this location and it will actually layer it like a Van Gogh painting where it literally layers uh, this artistic style on top of it or to detect a hot dog or not or to recognize objects and so forth. So you're super excited to see what uh, our developers do. And they are, there are developers literally uh, who are lucky enough to sign up for this workshop they are building it, but for many of you, or all of you who have attended this one, we are working to get those things also, we are making them, going to be making them available to you uh, in the coming weeks and months as well. So let's actually try to build something fun and interesting, and uh, feel free to put them back in open source so that you can actually contribute back to the community of computer vision. So. Now let's talk about application services. So as I mentioned, the goal with application services is to provide API services for developers who do not have to know anything about machine learning, but they want to build a chatbot, or they want to do image analytics, or facial recognition, or so forth. Last reInvent, we launched recognition, which is image analytics, uh, it's a service that can detect objects and scene and uh, do facial recognition and celebrity recognition and so forth. And we had several companies uh, using recognition. The one that is recent at top of our mind is like Marinus Analytics that Andy talked about. So Marinus Analytics is a nonprofit startup. Their goal is to fight human trafficking. And uh, to do that, you have to actually recognize the victims and also the persons of interest in as quickly as possible, plugging into the various uh, live feeds and so forth. So they have been uh, building their software on top of recognition so that they can detect these uh, people and alert the appropriate law enforcement agency. I mean, it's kind of incredible to see what uh, these AI technologies are enabling uh, for these use cases. So last week, we launched in recognition the ability to detect text and image. For example, given an image, we can tell what are all the text in it, and uh, we have customers like Pinterest looking to see how they can leverage that to search for a text in their pins and so forth. And also to be able to do real-time face search. This is how can you actually uh, build a facial recognition system 
say that can search across tens of millions of faces in less than half a second. So, and that again, you can do that with recognition with a single API call. So, uh, super excited about the tons of uh, innovations that our customers are doing. But one of the feedback we kept uh, hearing is that these customers said, uh, images are great. We are generating more and more video. And when you think about video processing, it's actually, while it looks very simple, it's, the, it's a series of images is what a video is constructed. In reality, the traditional solutions that are image-based don't really work uh, that well. Because when you deconstruct a video into series of frames, the temporal information gets lost. And if you just do image processing-based uh, solution, then you start actually getting poor accuracy. So that's why, having worked with uh, our teams in Amazon Go and uh, other places, we learned quite a bit on how to apply deep learning for native video analytics. And um, then we decided, hey, let's actually use similar technologies to do Amazon recognition video. So if you see recognition video, it provides the same capability that uh, recognition does but with few important differentiators. One is it does person tracking, where given a video, I'll show later, we can actually track a person walking over from one side of the room to another or so forth, which is important for public safety use case. But it can also take in live streams. It can actually take both the stored video and it can also do live video stream analytics using Kinesis video. So imagine if you're building a public safety uh, application or you're building a home security system. So live stream analysis is very, very important too. So the primary use cases you have been looking at is media and entertainment where you can search and filter to say, find me uh, where the celebrity X is doing this action Y across uh, tens of thousands of media files that are hours long, to public safety, to smart home monitoring. So now, let's talk about actually, like, let's take a look at uh, what recognition video does in a uh, live traffic cam example, where we have been partnering with City of Orlando, who has been uh, launching, looking to launch a pilot with recognition video for uh, public safety application that they are building in the city. So here's an example of what uh, one person could do. For example, in this video, in a traffic cam, we are recognizing various objects and people in there, including a dog. And you can see we are able to track the motion, even in this example, like person two, their face was not visible all the time. But we were able to see, hey, this person got off of this car, and if they went and, let's say, stole a package, we should be able to say, hey, this person, too, got out of this car with this license plate, they picked up this package, and so forth. So it's kind of incredible to think about all you need to do is make a single API call with an S3 bucket, I mean, uh, S3 URL, and you get all that information. And we have been partnering with uh, customers like City of Orlando and Motorola Solutions and uh, also Washington Post who want to do media analytics on top of the videos that they make it part of available for the digital uh, division too. So feedback has been great. If you think about processing user content that your uh, organization generates or actually if you're building home monitoring or public safety, highly recommend checking out recognition video. So last reInvent, we actually launched Poly. Poly is our text-to-speech service, which Poly speaks in 25 languages and 52 voices. One of the most incredible thing I learned about Poly is uh, like while we have many customers using Poly and they really love it for its lifelike voice, like Duolingo, for example, User, who have like, it's an amazing e-learning app that has more than 170 million users, and uh, they use Poly for generating actually the learning modules. The one that actually I found is amazing is a radio station in Japan actually runs a fully automated broadcasting station. When some of their broadcasters fall sick, they actually have Poly run the broadcast. So 
think about it. So you can literally sit in your home and generate the poly broadcasting station and have it actually do the streaming. So it's kind of incredible what they were able to do. But then our customers were asking, like, how do we enable analysis of all the audio content that is being generated? And that's why we launched Transcribe. This is automatic speech recognition analysis, not just for regular audio, but also low bitrate audio that can be like telephone audio or so forth. And some of the differentiating features with uh, Transcribe is that it can recognize multiple speakers. That means in a meeting room when three uh, individuals are talking about it, uh, something, you can actually say speaker one said this, or speaker two said that, and so forth. And it also uh, can take in custom vocabulary, so that uh, it's not always about transcribing good old English text or Spanish text. It can also take in custom vocabulary that is specific to your organization. So we have customers trying it out in the call center space and also in the media space, and also actually in our transcribing meetings too. For example, Ring DNA helps their customers accelerate their sales by providing actually uh, sales recordings and analytics on, tops of, on top of what a typical sales call uh, went and so forth. And uh, as part of coaching the teams to improve their success rate, they would like to transcribe what a typical sales call uh, looks like, and they are going to use transcribe to provide high quality transcription of these recordings to text, so that they can later analyze the text data with Amazon Comprehend, which I'll get to later, so that they can say, hey, what are actually the elements of successful sales call that happened, and actually derive analytics so that they can actually continue to get better. The same way, I mean, Isentia is another customer uh, who have been playing with Transcribe, and they actually look to enable customers to analyze and monitor media coverage uh, for their brands. And they are looking to actually use Transcribe so that they can get these media coverage that happens and transcribe it and run through Comprehend to make sure they can actually provide what are the positive or negative feedback and so forth. So that's actually Transcribe in a nutshell. Then last reInvent, when we talk about languages, we launched Lex. So Lex is our conversational application as a service, which allows customers to build chatbots. And uh, when you think about chatbots, um, they can be actually built for contact uh, center bots, or they can be built for applications, or they can be built for enterprise productivity, and so forth. So since the launch, uh, we have had several customers building um, proof of concepts to production bots, and the best customer uh, story uh, offlaid literally in the uh, past day that I heard was from American Heart Association. And I talked to the CIO of uh, AHA, they mentioned that, hey, they saw uh, me or my team talking about Amazon Lex, and he went and told this team, like, why don't you take a look at Lex and come back to me in a couple of weeks and see what we could do? And in two weeks, I, they, uh, he asked them, like, hey, so tell me what we could do and show me the slides on what is possible. They said, uh, no, we got it. We actually built the application already to automate registration for AHA marathons. I mean, uh, that's really how simple it is to get started with it. So that's actually amazing. Uh, and this year, we have been uh, continuing to innovate and improve on Lex. Uh, more and more so that we can make it easier. And you can actually connect Lex with uh, our uh, contact center, Amazon Connect uh, solution, and also with other providers like Genesis and so forth. So now let's talk about how do you communicate with your global customers uh, in the language of their choice. So we launched today Neural Machine Translation as a service, Amazon Translate. So I. It is actually a, enables real-time translation powered by deep learning, and it supports 12 language pairs. You can see, you might be wondering, saying like, so what's so special about neural machine translation? So to give you some example of uh, what it enables, so actually, was, uh, I'll give you an example of what happened when I went to Switzerland last month, 
And then my wife told me, if you're going to Switzerland, you should really get a Swiss Army knife. So I went to a store to go and pick a Swiss Army knife. And the craziest knife I saw was a knife with more than 100 blades. I don't know how people even use anything in it, but the shopkeeper told me like one of them is a toothpick. I'm like, who uses a toothpick in a Swiss Army knife? He said, no, you are not believing me. So he pulled up a translation in Amazon.de and I said, I can't read German. So he pulled up some uh, translation engine. I can't remember which one. And what it said was something like this. It's a very traditional phrase-based uh, machine translation. And while it's okay, I mean, it is somewhat, you can make out that, hey, they are talking about uh, a pocket knife and uh, it has a toothpick and uh, so forth. It has many in inaccuracies. So, uh, and I didn't have my VPN. so. So I couldn't actually check out Translate. So I went back to my hotel room and then picked my team saying like, hey, I had this review that I saw. How does our system with NeuralNT does better? Because I know the other one actually was okay, but uh, does it do better? So it is an example of what the neural version did. So actually, if you see it, it's actually pretty good. It's almost like what uh, you don't need that much post-editing with human translators to do make sense out of it. And uh, there might be one or two areas where we could still continue to make it better, but uh, this is almost as good as what a human translator could do. So that's why I actually really like the, I mean, uh, where the translation research is taken with neural MT. So that's actually what is powering uh, Amazon Translate. And we have customers like hotels.com who is use, interested in using state-of-the-art um, machine learning systems, including for translation, and they really want to actually gather customer feedback and reviews on uh, customer's language of choice and translate it so that they can run analytics on what are the best positive and uh, not so positive feedback about uh, different travel properties and so forth. Now the other service we launched today is to extract insights from unstructured text. And the goal for that is to, with Amazon Comprehend, is to extract, given a text, to extract sentiments, entities, and uh, also understand the topics in it and key phrases and so forth. So what do I actually mean by this? Let's take a look. So here is a text where, if you see the text, Amazon.com is located in location X and so forth. It's very easy if you read it for you to know, yeah, which one, Amazon.com is an organization and uh, Seattle, uh, Washington is a location and so forth. But imagine you have like um, hundreds of S3 files that get put in your bucket every day and you want an automated way to parse it. So you can run that through Comprehend and you will get uh, very good structured outputs such as like, hey, the organization that is listed is Amazon, location is Seattle, Washington and so forth. And you can actually run it through Elasticsearch, for example, and actually get a good search output on saying, like, tell me all the organizations that are listed in the text output that we generated today, for example. Or you can actually analyze all the positive uh, sentiments that were written about uh, a particular organization and so forth. And Amazon Comprehend also does topic modeling, where Imagine all the articles written by Washington Post, which might be, let's say, I don't know, 20 million articles. You can actually call a single API and it will extract the key topics. And again, the cost will be even not even that significant, which is kind of amazing. So, and the use cases we have been uh, targeting early on is voice of customer analytics and semantic search and knowledge management. Let me actually walk through with a demo of what our customers have been doing with uh, Comprehend and all these services. One of the areas our customers have been thinking about is, uh, like, I asked the team, like, hey, let's be launching all these services, translate, transcribe, comprehend, and so forth. How can we actually showcase why it is easy to do what it is? And, uh, one of the ideas we had was like, let's build a multilingual social analytics app. What does that mean? So think of you are actually, let's say, chief marketing officer for AWS or any of the organization. Your customers 
feedback flowing in from Twitter, you have customer feedback flowing in from your call centers, and they might be flowing in on multiple languages, not just English, it can be Japanese and French and so forth. But you, as the person in charge of it, you would like to actually get a dashboard like this, where you say, hey, I want to know, for example, like what are the positive, what are all the top entities that are discussed about AWS? And then you want to say, hey, here are the things that people are talking about, and here are the software issues that people are talking about, here are the non-software issues, and so forth. And to do a dashboard like this, we actually built a software application that takes Twitter Stream API, runs it through Kinesis Firehose, and then from the Kinesis Firehose, we ran it through Translate. And one of the things Translate does is first it actually enables you to detect the language. Imagine you're not actually, when you're taking something like a Twitter Firehose, you first want to know what language the source language is, and then later you need to call the appropriate translation. So it does language identification, then it actually, you can call it to, let's say, translate to English, and then later you can actually uh, comprehend what is said in a given Twitter feed using the Comprehend API, and then output the, um, take the output and put it in S3 and visualize it in QuickSight. That's actually what the end-to-end -end pipeline is. But when you think about what we just did, it's a completely serverless pipeline where we didn't even have to spin off an EC2 system or anything else. It's completely serverless. You can actually hook it up and keep going. So, and then you can actually visualize a dashboard like this where you can say, for all the tweets that came to AWS, you can actually say, what are the classes of tweets that are going on? Again, we didn't have to feed any specific knowledge graphs like, hey, there are software-related tweets or so forth. Let's say we want to focus on specific things like software-related entity types. Then you can actually go in, and then within software, the dashboard automatically classifies into Lambda and VPC and so forth. And we also can actually visualize specifically what are the positive tweets that happen related to uh, specific software. And you can see some of the codes would be like, oh, static websites, it's really easy. Or S3 encryption is really easy and so forth. So think of actually being able to do this end-to-end, -end, completely serverless, and then I asked my team and several others yesterday when I was demoing to some of them, saying like, hey, how long did you think it'll take to build? And uh, how much do you think it'll cost to run per day for an organization that gets Twitter traffic to the scale of maybe like AWS where you get like, I don't know, 30,000 or 40,000 tweets a day or so. So the numbers were way all over the place, uh, where someone just for fun said, maybe 20 minutes you can build an app. I'm like, you can't even log on to your, my MacBook for less than 30 seconds. I have no idea why you're saying 20 minutes, but then uh, that's the problem with running a poll. But anyway, so, but some people said, you know what, this is a big project. We have spent like six months doing it. It takes a lot of effort and time, and a uh, huge team we tasked to go about doing it. So. We built this end-to-end -end working demo that uh, we'll be happy to actually um, also put it up in a GitHub in uh, less than a day, where we had a uh, developer outside the machine learning team. So they had no knowledge of any of these uh, uh, NLP capabilities or translation. They built it end-to-end, -end, and the total cost of it is 17 bucks a day. So that is like, I don't know, three cups of latte in Seattle, or two if you are in Vegas in one of these expensive casinos. So, so think about what is the power of machine learning for day-to-day -day use cases. I mean, it's kind of amazing. This is the best time to be a developer to do, build such incredible apps. So I started with actually talking about AWS ML stack, where it was uh, before today and where it is now. And 
we are really just getting started. I mean, we would love for your feedback to see what actually we could do more and more to actually make your life uh, easier to build incredible apps. Now, having done all this, uh, one of the goals that we wanted to do is machine learning is still in its infancy. I joke with my team that it's kind of where databases were in the early 90s where people were still writing to their B trees instead of even SQL, let alone NoSQL APIs or REST APIs or so forth. So given how early the space is, we asked ourselves, like, how do we accelerate innovative machine learning work? So to that end, we actually just launched AWS ML research grants. So the goal for it is to fund innovative machine learning work among the top universities in US and eventually worldwide. So fund them with cash and AWS credits. The goal for them is to basically publish innovative machine learning research and make the source code available openly. And um, they will, and we have partnered with uh, universities like CMU and Caltech and many more to come. I'm super excited about what some of the ideas uh, the professors in CMU and Caltech have come up with and many other proposals we started getting in once since we announced it. I mean, this is going to be a very, very innovative, uh, I mean, research program that we are running. The other thing I want to highlight is, as I mentioned early on, given Amazon's experience with machine learning for the past 20 years or so, we asked ourselves, like, how can we actually leverage Amazon's expertise? And to that end, we actually launched, actually last week, Amazon ML Lab. The goal for it is to provide the Amazon's expertise in machine learning. And our goal is to actually teach our customers how to fish instead of fishing for them so that they can go solve their problems. With that, I will actually, and we also launched an ML competency for our technology partners. Our team has been doing a lot. That's why I keep actually saying I'm about to be done, but I keep going. So where we actually are leveraging our partner ecosystem to get started with data ecosystem and also to build machine learning models and SaaS API vendors and so forth. And as Andy mentioned, our goal is to for you to derive machine learning capabilities on top of your data lake. And machine learning is always an icing on the cake. Machine learning is as good as the data you feed into it. And you really need a good data lake infrastructure to do that. And that's where the breadth and depth of AWS storage database analytics offering matters. And uh, this is where being able to use all these things in conjunction with the services is really important. With that, let me actually get our distinguished speaker from Intuit, Ashok Srivastava, to explain about uh, Intuit's experience with using some of the service capabilities. Thank you, sir. Chief Data Officer for Intuit. And it's really a pleasure to be here. I want to congratulate Amazon and Swami on the amazing accomplishments that are being uh, launched today. What I'd like to talk to you about is a journey that is happening in the world of consumer finance and small business finance. If you think about the world in which we live, many people from all across the planet are struggling to figure out how to do their finances and are literally living paycheck to paycheck. We have an amazing opportunity ahead of us to take machine learning, data science, artificial intelligence, and data and bring these things together to help people make better financial decisions, to empower them so that they have the tools, the knowledge, and the techniques in order to do better in their own financial lives. So if you look at the data behind my statement, it is really staggering. Understanding the struggles of people through data is one of the things that we do. So one in 20 30-year-olds uh, can buy a house. In 2004, it was one in 10. 
49% of Mint users spend more than they make. 44% cannot come up with $400 in the case of an emergency. This is an extraordinary situation that we're in. We find ourselves as a society in a world in which there are lots of people who are going paycheck to paycheck. The question is, how can we actually address this through the use of data, artificial intelligence, and machine learning? Our mission, the mission that we've defined it into it, is to deliver transformative technologies to people so that they can reduce their own dependency on difficult financial situations. So we want to deliver delightful customer interactions while reducing costs and offer personalized expert advice at the time of need. In order to do this, we have to have a number of different capabilities. Number one, we have to be able to understand language. We have to be able to understand intent. We have to be able to understand all of the tremendous data sources that are coming onto the platform, analyze all of these things in real time, and provide information back to the user so that he or she can make the best financial decisions possible. So as you look at the architecture for something like this, it requires first and foremost data. Intuit has tremendous data sources at its disposal. About 46 million persons worth of data is in our platform. This is rich and accurate data that gives us a unique insight into the person, into the small business, and their overall context worldwide. We have the ability to build a knowledge graph about their finances and also about the other financial climate indicators that are surrounding that person or the individual. Then the machine learning capabilities that we're seeing in SageMaker that Swami spoke about in detail and the natural language processing capabilities that also come together. It's really at the nexus of these areas that we feel that innovation is going to occur in the financial technology area. And that is the human level financial AI that I'd like to talk to you about today. So if you look at the focus areas that we have at Intuit, they include smart products. So building new products and new technologies that can help people make better financial decisions fraud detection and fraud prevention and overall security in order to make sure that the systems that we're operating and the data that we house is safe under all circumstances. Customer care and expert advice, giving people the opportunity to get the information they need in order to make better financial decisions. These are some of the th uh, key thrust areas that we're working on right now in conjunction with AWS. So, if we focus on fraud, for instance, the key idea is to design systems that can ingest massive amounts of data, analyze it in real time, and stay ahead of people who are doing fraudulent and malicious activities. This is something that's paramount to the basics of what Intuit does, but also, frankly, to the basics of what we see going on in society today. These kinds of technologies can help us address account takeover, uh, identity theft, and many other security issues that arise for companies all over the place. So in the context of SageMaker, we're moving from a situation where we're dealing with things like ad hoc setup and management of notebook environments, something that's very difficult and very time consuming, to easy data exploration in SageMaker using notebooks, Limited choice of model deployment. So as you could see from Swami's talk, there are many areas when you're trying to develop new algorithms and tune them, understanding how they're going to work for your specific use case. We're moving from that to building and uh, around virtualization for flexibility. Competing for compute across teams is one of the key constraints that people face when they're working in a data center. Here on the AWS platform, obviously we have auto scalability and hosting environment that lets us do model deployment and visualization and analytics and machine learning in a highly scalable fashion. And this brings us to the ability to do near real-time fraud detection in AWS using SageMaker. On the left-hand side, we have a data pipeline that is ingesting data at massive 
uh, streams, massive quantity, going through a, a set of features and calculations that do reading, cleansing, and processing that goes into a feature store that then leads to model training and model hosting. This entire pipeline is something that we're using with SageMaker and we're building with SageMaker. And as we deploy it, what we're finding is that we're able to do model deployment and then execution of those models very quickly because of the infrastructure that we have from AWS as well as from SageMaker. So I'd like to leave you with the following idea, that with artificial intelligence, data, and machine learning, we have a unique opportunity to address societal needs at a global scale. This is one of the things that we're very excited about. We're thrilled to be partnering with Amazon and with AWS on this journey. If you have further questions or further clarification, please feel free to discuss that with me later. Thank you very much for your attention. Sarah, may I say? All right. I think I'm advertising for Ashok that they are hiring. So, <laughs> thanks a lot, everyone. Really appreciate you coming. Hope you have a great reinvent. So.